This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. It wasn't the smartest moment I've ever had. I mean, when an owner comes in after training camp practices and it's like, hey, how's the quarterback? And he, what he means is the starter or the second. And you in irritation go, I don't know, but our third guy's the best. Like, that's not what he wants to hear. So that's why he remembers it very strong. But that was just more... Brock was so good right away with every rep he got. He was always the same. And he only got a couple of them. So it was, it was easy for me to say. Okay. That's Kyle Shanahan talking about the rise of this improbable Super Bowl participant in Brock Purdy. Let's talk some football now with Lorenzo Neal, 16-year NFL fullback, host at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, and he joins us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline. Download the Circa Sports app today. Hello, Lorenzo. Hello, we got you? Yeah, you got me loud and clear. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we got you now, man. We're very happy that you're on the show. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Why don't we start with talking about Brock Purdy? How do you assess him? Like, well, what are the things that you think are valuable about the way that he plays the game? Well, I think that everyone just, uh, you know, look at this young man and everyone's like, God, how can he be doing this? And what came first? Is it the chicken or the egg? I think that's a great analogy for Brock Purdy because you look at Brandon Ayuk, you look at, you know, I like to say, hey, diddle, diddle, kittle down the middle. And you look at Debo and think about the offensive weapons that he has and they say, well, anyone can do it. If that's the case, you know what? I have Jimmy G on the phone. I have Trey Lance on the phone. But if you look at just the offense itself, I think that this guy has executed at a high level because he has buy-in. And he does not try to say, you know what? I'm going to do what I believe. He follows the the script, and he follows the instructions of where the ball should go. And that's what I think that people give him a hard time for because of the fact this young man says, I'm going to do what my coach wants me to do, and I'm going to execute it at a high level, and I'm not, and I'm going to improvise when I have to. And you saw that best last week when he stepped up, and I thought he grew right before everyone's eyes with the way that he was able to improvise, but the way that he was able to take off and run. But he made decisions, and his decision-making is very, very candid, and, it's, and he's not wavering in it at all. That's a really interesting take on quarterbacking where – it's maybe you do need to do a little bit more of rule following until the play absolutely breaks down and then you improvise. Who, what what quarterbacks that you played with or against did you think were the best at, at both following a script and then taking opportunities when the, the, the play is, is, is gone and they have to make something happen? Yeah, I think Drew was great at that. Drew Brees, you know, a guy who wants to stay in the pocket, a guy who wanted to throw – but at times in his younger career, he would take off and pick up 5, 10, 15 if he had to. I think you look at Steve McNair. He was one of those guys that, you know, everyone thought he was a running quarterback, but he could throw the nice balls. But then when things break out, in and doubt, when in doubt, just take off and run. And I think when you saw, look at when you saw uh, Green Bay, when they played against the Niners, everyone's like, oh, my God, that game, I, I tell you, that game, they could have lost. And they looked like they should have lost. The same the week after, Detroit looked like they should have lost and could have lost. But if you think about the first play where Brock throws it to that four route, guy comes on and Savage is sitting right there, and we're like, oh, my God, who is he throwing that to? What the hell is going on? And from there, he was shell-shocked. Because of the fact 
Purdy says, I'm going to the spot. I trust my receivers. He's going to come in on that four route, and the window is going to be open. But they understood that, and Green Bay said, we're going to drop Savage and go sit in this window. And it looked like, where the hell is Purdy throwing? He was knew that his receiver was going to come through that window, and he let the ball go. And that's what Green Bay did. They said, let's make this guy. We know where he wants – the tendency are he, it is. We know where he wants to throw the ball. Let's put guys in these different windows so now we'll make this guy have to go to a second and third and other options. And he struggled against Green Bay figuring it out until he said, you know what, I got to play loose. I got to go through my progressions, and I got to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. And then he started to flourish. And we've seen that with Brock Purdy. Teams are figuring him out. They're taking away the first, second read and making Brock Purdy do other things. And right now, guys, he's passing the test with flying colors. What I find interesting is for not just a young quarterback, but one who doesn't necessarily have uh, outstanding draft pedigree, to say the least, managing the huddle and the internal in-game politics of multiple skill position stars and – Having guys like that who, when they're not getting the ball, you know how it is. I mean, guys coming back to the huddle. I was open. I was open. I, I got my guy. I, this guy can't cover me. And being able to say, hey, 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 I'm gonna, we're running what we're supposed to run. The trust in the coach to know what they're supposed to do. The trust in, in, the, in the tactics and the X's and O's of seeing from above what's going on. But a young guy able to say, trust me, I'll get it to you when I'm supposed to get it to you. That can't be easy. No, it's not. That's a very, very valid point. And look at Green Bay. You had Devontae Adams, Fresno State's finest, and went to Fresno State. Shout out Fresno State. I love Devontae Adams. But when you have a quarterback in Green Bay now that was a young quarterback, who's his receivers? He had an outstanding year because he didn't have guys, like you're saying, that's going to be in his ear. Look at the Houston Texans, a young quarterback, mm-hmm. young receivers, guys that bought in and said, hey, guess what? I don't have an alpha dog that's going to do that. And that's what's really unique about the San Francisco 49ers. Debo and Ayuk, yeah, they're not veterans. Yeah, they're veteran guys and guys that had, had demand the ball, but you don't see them in broad space. You don't see that. They don't have guys that are eye guys demanding the ball. Look at Kittle. My God, Kittle, I, every week I'm like, why isn't Kittle – catching passes. You look at Kittle, I think he's probably the second best tight end in the league. Of course, we see who they're playing against in Kelsey, what he brings to the table. Mahomes believes in him. But you got to look, Kittle is an unbelievable route runner. He runs great routes. He has speed. He's too fast for linebackers. He's too physical for safeties to cover him. And the Niners don't use him as, you know, they use him. But the quarterback says, look, I'm going elsewhere. The stars that you have on this team, guys, that's why it's such a valid point. The receivers, the tight ends, they don't demand the ball, and that's why Brock Purdy can have so much success because he can play loose, he can play free, and guys are pulling for him, and there's a brotherhood, and they let Purdy, they trust. When you saw Juszczyk make that catch last week, did you have flashbacks? Oh, my goodness. I said, cut my legs off and call me shorty. I said, go ahead with your bad self, 44. I mean, the tiptoe. Come on, guys. I'm glad you guys went there. I mean, how about the having the presence to keep both toes, both feet in ground? It was just a, it was better than any receiving. I mean, that catch should go down as one of the top catches in the playoffs. Unbelievable. But how about the first one where it's Purdy scrambling yep. and he throws a huge check, throws the hand up. He comes across the middle. Guys, I'm glad you guys that, watched that, that pass. And I'm glad you guys give some fullback love. Oh, but that, Kudos to you guys. That, that one you're talking about guys, i'm ready 
I brought up that other pass. That's one of the worst passes I've ever seen in the NFL playoffs. That that was just dumb. And 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 I mean, I know we say a lot about, it, but you can't do that. Like I was almost mad that he completed it because it offended my football sensibilities. If you are running the opposite direction and you float it toward the middle of the field, you're not supposed to complete it. It should be picked. Yes. But, it, but that just goes to show you the, the belief that he had, the belief that he had at Juszczyk. He saw a window, and he's able to make that throw because Mahomes does it, and everyone says, wow, that's Mahomes. Look at that launch angles. If Purdy does it, oh, look at this kid. Look, let's face it. It's no more this guy's a game manager. This guy's a game changer. Purdy has grown in front of all of our eyes, and, guys, he's only in his second year. Yes, he's on a great team. Yes, there's other quarterbacks that are better than Purdy, but it's guys that can follow instructions, can guys – buy into the system and yes has this offense is this offense quarterback friendly no question it is so all those things that people are saying i agree but you can no longer say that this guy can't play and he can't play at a high level and he can't execute but yes this system is friendly quarterback friendly for the quarterback you saw the success shanahan had with rg3 you saw the sex success that he had even with you know a guy that got shipped out and you know play for the raiders now and look happened to him when he went to the raiders so you see that this offense, guys have had the opportunity and they've had the opportunity to play and they play well in this system. But Purdy, let's be honest, guys, he's executed his system better than any quarterback that we've seen. I'm mad at my partner. And, and the reason why is that Lorenzo was in his fullback bag right there. And you just interrupted him talking about what Brock Purdy shouldn't have done. We're going back to the fullback bag. Look, Lorenzo, I got to know, if you were talking to a fullback that's playing in today's game and you were trying to figure out if this guy had what it takes to be a lead blocker in the run game, what are the things that you want to know from that fullback? I want to know, is he tough? I want to know, is he disciplined? I want to know how much is he doable? Because a fullback, it's like, you know what? It's a position, guys, that you have to have that stand power. It's a reason why I played 16 years. Because I already knew the will to win means nothing without the will to prepare. I would go against Ray Lewis, any of those guys, and I'm like, you know what? I hit and it hurts, and guess what? I'm going to come back again, and I'm going to bring that same medicine. So you're going to go get an go get an Advil on the sideline. I'm going to get an Advil, and then when we come back, we're going to do it again. Somebody's got a breaking point, and that's what I like about Houston. He's not as physical as I was, but what he can do, he knows how to cut guys. He knows how to get them down. He can get in front of guys. He knows how to stick and stay. He knows how to move his body, take a soft shoulder. You don't have to take on the whole man. Take on half the guy. I love the way the fullback, if you have a good fullback, if I'm seeing a linebacker and I'm running full speed, and now I take his hit him, hit him right on his upper thigh and cut through and, and shoot my hips up and through his leg, he's got to get on the ground. I'm glad you let me teach this fullback clinic right now. This is a station for me. Hire me. Hire me. I need to be in the game, guys. Put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game. I would say you and Corey Schlesinger of the the fullbacks that I covered were my favorites to watch in the ISO run game. And the league has gotten so zone run heavy. There's so much outside zone, inside zone. When I see an old-fashioned eye formation, and especially down at the goal line, and I look at it, I'm sort of counting the helmets and looking and see, all right, they're going to power somebody around here. I, I get in my feels when I watch that because it doesn't seem to be fashionable anymore. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love the way Corey Sushner played. I like the way how he did for Barry Sanders, number 30 in Detroit. This guy's tough. He was physical. He ran downhill. Also love to watch a guy by the name of Sam Gash, Sam I Am. And then Henshamin, Matt Strum from Seattle. There are some guys that I looked at at the fullback position to get downhill and actually break some necks. Mike Alsta, he was another guy that was a, one probably the best running fullback in the league. Sam, you know, look at look at a guy played for the Arizona Cardinals, Little Larry, Larry Centers, the best receiving fullback, caught over 100 passes one day and one year. And then you look over, I'll be remiss if I didn't talk about Moose Johnson, what he did for Emmitt Smith and the blocks and the things that he took on for Emmitt Smith. Then you look at a guy, you know, played for the San Francisco 49 Tom, Tom Rassman. Got to talk Tom come, Rassman. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's see. If you guys want to go down this rabbit hole, we can be here all day. And there should be a fullback in the Hall of Fame, guys. I can't believe that, you know, some of these names that I mentioned, there's no one. You got kickers now in there. Put a fullback in. Let's make football great again. Bring fullback. Ooh. Let's make fullbacks great again. That's my tagline. Make fullbacks great again. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, some would argue that you're that fullback that's supposed to be there. Considering, uh, you uh, oh, you're gonna you're gonna say it shouldn't be you? No, you know it it it, it should it could. And I think that I think there's other guys that's just deserving of it, guys. And 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 this because it's a it's a dying breed, it's a dying position. And yes, I think that there should be. And I'm glad that Harbaugh got the Charger job because I think he's going to bring that fullback, a tough mentality, back to the Chargers, physical and bring it downhill. And that's why I'm pulling for the 49ers. I think when you look at Houston and you look at this team, they know what's up at stake. Kansas City Chiefs, guys, until you beat Mahomes as a champ, he's Mike Tyson. Until you knock this guy out, he's going to keep getting up. You've seen the way Mahomes is able to do this. But the Niners, they know. they got to secure their ends. they got to get better. you got to get more out of Chase. You brought made this trade. You didn't give up much for him. But Chase... Chase has not played well. He's getting pushed around. He's getting, you know, knocked off his feet. He plays too high, not with leverage. He hasn't been an impact player, you know, for this 49ers. This, the run game has to get better. Detroit's still running the ball if they wanted to. Green Bay's still running the ball. And they got to get this fixed because Kansas City, they have a good runner, and you know they're going to try to test this Niners defense to see if it's fixed. So the Niners are going to have to play better defense, bend but don't break but they have to slow down Kansas City because Kansas City, guys, even though they're a good team and they have Mahomes, it's not like they're scoring 30 and 40. Baltimore held them to 17. You look at this game. This is going to be a defensive game. Hopefully the Niners can slow them down because I'm telling you guys, Purdy has arrived and he has enough weapons. If the line protects him, this is going to be a, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, you know, 20, in, you know low 20s, and, and the Niners are going to have a chance, but – they have to stop the run, and it's going to come down to that. The Niners stop the run, keep Kansas City under 70, 80, under 90, under 100 yards, under 100. Rushing, I think they win this game. All right, so so look, I know that he's technically a tailback, but when I watch Isaiah Pacheco run, I feel like I'm watching a, t- a tough fullback with a lot of speed. Well, what's your breakdown of him and his game? I, I love Pacheco. I think he's got good feet, guys, and he just runs angry. Here's a guy that, you know, I thought Baltimore was going to try to take his head off. I mean, but he still, he doesn't back down. He's not 250 pounds. He's not 240 pounds. Here's a guy, 215, but he runs hard. He understands the importance of running hard, trying to run through arm tackles, and he just keeps his legs turning. He refuses to go down. In the offensive line on Kansas City, they did a great job. If he's, moved, if he's stuck in the pal, 
they'll get behind him and they'll start getting in a scrum and they'll push him forward because he stays on his feet and keep his turn his legs turning. So I love Pacheco. The guy runs angry guys. He runs with a passion. I love to see this guy have some success. But you know what? Not this week. Had you not hurt your ankle in ninety three, would you still have been a halfback? I think with the Saints, the way that they did trading Iron Hayward to get me, and Ironhead Hayward was a very physical fullback, you know, slash tailback. I think I was that tweener. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, fast enough to be a tailback. I was, you know, physical enough to get down, you know, still could block. So I think I was in the tweener that, that you still labeled as a fullback. The ball because you're right. When you before I broke my ankle, I, I was around. I was giving them everything. I like to think of the fullback position, guys. You guys got me fired up this morning. I can't believe I'm on a roll. You guys just opened up the door and let me go. I'll tell you guys a story about the fullback position. I think it's almost like the onion. I remember going to school in third grade, and our teacher said that we had show and tell. And they said, hey, bring your favorite fruit or vegetable to school. And you know what? People brought strawberries and cherries and pretty tomatoes and all cucumbers. I brought the grandma said, here, son, bring, I opened up my bag and I brought off that old onion. Everyone's like, oh, an onion. And I said, look at the onion. It's the most disrespected fruit, you know, vegetable. But when you want that good soup, you call on that onion. When you want that good hamburger, you call on that onion. When you want that good, you know, you always call an onion. That's like the fullback. You want that good lead draw. You want that ISO, you call on the onion. Fullback's not known in the league. It's not the, but when you want that dirty yard, when you want to go downhill, you call Call on that onion. That's why I think the fullback position should be called the onion. I thought you were going to say you pulled out a human heart still beating. <laughs> oh, no. I was going with the onion, guy. I was going with the onion, fellas. The onion. I like it. Lorenzo, thank Come you on, so what, much what, for this. What do you think about the onion? Can I, can I work on that some more? What, hey. what you guys like? Did you like that onion? Did you like where I was going? Did you like how weed that story in and out? Was that not good, guys? Hey, great? let me tell you this. Growing up in the old country, do you know what my maternal grandfather's favorite sandwich was? His sandwich. His it. favorite sandwich that he would have his mother, my great-grandmother would make for him was two thick slices of bread slathered with salted chicken fat and a, a one-inch cut of yellow onion. And, oh, that sounds good. And that was, and that was lunch. I wouldn't oh, want to sit next to him for the rest of the afternoon, no. but that was a, 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 good, a good onion was a main course. No, that, that's, that's, that's bad. Lorenzo, enjoy the Super Bowl, bad. man. We got we to gotta get you back on the show yeah. soon, okay? Hey, we'll do it, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Be blessed. Lorenzo Neal, my man. Let's go! I'm ready to play right now! I need, Here's what I now 16 need. 16 years, four Pro Bowls, 2000s, all-decade team. I actually saw today, too, he blocked for 10 consecutive 1,000-yard rushers. Damn right he did. I mean, it was, you know, LaDainian Tomlinson and, and Eddie George. But, Two great running backs, but yeah, impressive but, nonetheless. All I need now is I need Lorenzo Neal talking to Mark Schlereth. The idea, of, but I love the idea. See, here's your open studs. Ogres are like onions. So we've got that. We have the metaphor of ogres are like onions. And now we've got fullback is the onion of football players. Of oh, the football soup. Yeah, that you that is the critical ingredient that's not sexy. It's not famous. It's not featured on the menu. You can't be. You can't have anything that tastes good without it. Yeah. And now, after all of that fun, 
Dan's gonna talk about the White Sox. Kind of. And we'll never be royal. No. Oh, don't worry. Oh. He'll be a, a royal in 2034. That, that that that's when we'll get get the royal over to the White Sox. 2034. At the end of the deal. That's what we'll do. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Hey, off pitch. Hot drive. Deep left. Grand slam. Bobby Witt Jr. wins it. Sensational. Sensational indeed. That's a hell of a debut season for Bobby Witt Jr. And he has been rewarded with an 11-year, $288.7 million extension. It can max out at 14 years and $377.7 million. It's a lot of damn money. What the Royals out here doing giving away $300 million? Well, here's what's interesting. You can be. This is the larger point. If the just listen to this very carefully, if the Royals can do this, any team can do this. If the Royals can do this, any team can do this. Don't ever let an MLB team say we, we'd love to be able to. Give, we just can't. Whether it's Manny Machado or anything. Well, you know, we we offered a bunch of possibility of you know, the money he could make. If we made six hundred right. at bats in his right. season, and, and if, there would be and extra and money. If more, if more people came out to the ballpark, and we, of course, we'd be able to sign them. But we can't based on our but any team can do this if they want. So why don't they? Well, they don't want. Oh, because it's a lot of money to spend, and they don't want to spend it because they look at labor as an impediment. And that's why you're looking at the young players on some up-and-coming teams. If you're Adley Rutschman right now, you absolutely have a reason to go to the new owner of the Orioles and say, here it is. I'm just as important, if not more important. Let's see it. I'll make my commitment. Show it to me. And they could. And they probably, you could argue they should. But what's interesting, too, is that where the Royals have a proposal for public money for a new building go on rather than chip away at their relationship with their fandom by destroying things that they like and running the team into the ground and going through a rebuilding that you're saying isn't really a rebuilding this is an investment where they're saying hey if we want public support if we want people to chip in tax dollars to build us our ball mall and our real estate boondoggle palace, maybe we can do a little good faith deposit in the favor bank. Right. But that would mean investing in the team instead of investing in the politicians that are going and and the the, the media gatekeepers that are going to not push back on you doing this. That's it's a much easier and more lucrative way to do it the way that the White Sox are doing it. Well, we'll just we'll promise favors, we'll make we'll talk about economic boons and 
in certain neighborhoods that we go to will offer that will throw up the idea of finally you could have the ballpark that you always wanted. Right. You could have had it too 30 years ago and you didn't. And this is more of a ballpark for you and your legacy than it is for anybody else. Because when it comes to the tax breaks and the real estate ownership and the outside the ballpark revenue sources, mm-hmm. that that's all a gift to the billionaire, not a gift to everybody else. Yes. But your your point about like this is the thing that is always frustrating about baseball overall is because it's a a game without a salary cap, and yes, there is the luxury tax, that you could really just spend if you wanted to. It's part of the reason that there were owners led by Reinsdorf that didn't want Steve Cohen in the game. Now, I know that there's some backstory stuff here, too. I've talked to people around the White Sox and around the league about Cohen, and there are certain people who don't like the way that he does business. But when it comes to I will spend out of mistakes I'll spend into them and I'll spend out of them there's an opportunity for almost every ownership group to do that and when you see the White Sox what did you been been saying about the White Sox for probably the last year and a half is you guys need to spend this is the time to spend money to fix some of the problems that you have and they didn't do that they chose not to do that And that's where I'm coming from with the whole, like, good faith thing when it comes to the Sox ownership and them just kind of being gifted a ballpark. Why? Like, why why do you feel compelled to do it? I get if you're a Sox fan and the current mayor of Chicago is not. I get it if you're a Sox fan and you're like, man, that would be so cool. We all agree it would be super cool. To have a view of downtown. These were some of the decisions that they made and they continue to make. And they continue to not make a good faith push on their team. Like, they're not making the effort when it comes to spending money on their team. Why should the city, why should the citizens then, outside of the money that they're spending to go to games, why should they take the tax burden of that for someone that hasn't played, hasn't put together a team in good faith by spending money on it. There's also the baseball side of it. And I think somebody could say, well, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. The White Sox haven't thrown that kind of money at somebody because there's nobody worth that kind of money. Bobby Witt Jr., they're banking on this guy being a George Brett level all-time royal. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like this is if you if you look at what he's established his first couple of years, yeah, and you and you look at what they think he's going to be, and the White Sox just haven't drafted and developed like that. They haven't had. You you could say sure, who would be that guy? And yet here were the at, at, they're at one point, at one point the White Sox had a young, dynamic, exciting core of players, and they were getting ready to, as they put it, change the game. You had an engaged and energized Tim Anderson. You had the, the, the homer into the cornfield. And they ruined everything because the owner got scared and called in the baseball police. And just as they were about to embrace something colorful and a little countercultural and edgy and different and fun, they shut it down. 
They slammed the door. Is that really a question? It's a statement. Wow. They they chose to to dump cold water on all of it. They did, and then the owner actively told you that the best player in baseball not pursuing it and laughed at you, laughed in your face about the idea of pursuing the best player in baseball, and insisted his favorite player was David freaking Eckstein. Look, we're not going to be in the Otani race. I'll tell you that right now. I'll give you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, with Otani now out of the American League, Bobby Witt's one of those guys, as you could see, being a real contender for an MVP. Yeah, and look David at Eckstein. Look at the other money that the Royals have spent too, because you know what they realized? Central sucks. It does. You get you can be back very quickly, which is the reason why people look at the White Sox like, come on, like go ahead and do something. Because you're not that far away. And you don't have to worry about Tito outmanaging you anymore because he's retired. The The Tigers, they were better than people thought they were going to be last year. Maybe they'll have a little bit of an improvement this year. And then the weird-ass Minnesota Twins. They're always in the way. But they're not very good. They're, they were good enough to win this division, but they're not a very good baseball team. The Royals are becoming pretty good, and they're, they are realizing that around the margins here, there are wins to be had and fortifying the depth of their team. Who knew that you could actually go out and, and buy wins? Amazing, right? You well, talk about what could have been with the White Sox, too, and you just went through the, the whole Central, and you list up, think of the managers, the Tigers, AJ Hinch, I mean, you had on. your manager. You had hired. Yep. Had it on on letterhead. But no, let's bring in the baseball police. To judge the sincerity of all of your celebrating and smiling. Like it, it really is amazing when you start to think about like the last couple of years. Uh-huh. Like honestly, like the audacity of it. I know that things are terrible and they're trending towards terrible on our baseball diamond, but I want a new place to for us to do this thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bring the show closer yeah. to downtown. Woo! We love it. You're going to get to look at the skyline. Yay! Better than look at the baseball team. Facts. But you can look at the skyline for free without having to look at the baseball team. And then some of the tax money can be spent on other things. You know, like what it was intended to be spent on. High noon when we come back. Give him a new stadium. He deserves it. Why? Because I want to see the skyline. Yay! I have a review of a documentary that I enjoyed more than I thought I would. It's not great, but it's fun even as it obscures the truth that underlies it. There's a new beef. Well, actually, it's old beef, but it's now being brought to the rap stage. I will share that next. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? What a 
a difference a couple hours makes. We woke up in fog, and now the sun is out as we have reached high noon here on the Bernstein and Holmes Show. Started out by celebrating the fact that the Bears are at the Super Bowl. They're not in the Super Bowl. They're not? But they're there because they're the subject of so much conversation. George Kittle talking about the Bears. Patrick Mahomes talking about the Bears. If you turn on the screaming shows with the, the fake opinions... They're talking about the Bears because the Bears are front and center with the power that they wield. Roger Goodell was actually asked about representation in NFL media and did not answer satisfactorily. In fact, a bit insultingly when he tried to pivot and answer a question that he wasn't asked about the representation of women. You weren't asked about women, but nice try. We talked about increased transparency in officiating. We had an absolutely delightful conversation with a fired-up Lorenzo Neal. Yeah! Who was, he got a lot of people going. It's got me fired up. Talked Let's about ball. the Bobby Witt Jr. contract and just how if the Royals can do it, anybody can do it. It's Peyton Manning has always struggled in his battles against Tom Brady. He was always running into him in AFC title games and whatnot. Eli Manning has a perfect record when it counts against Tom Brady. And at the Pro Bowl, he decided that he was going to let people know, battle rap style. Oh, are you ready? Are you ready? Go ahead, Ephesians. I'm Eli Manning. I'm nice. Tom Brady's the GOAT. Sight! I beat him twice! Oh! Hold me back! Hold me back! Hold me back! Oh! So now does Tom Brady have to fire back? He won't. His own Eli Manning. No, Eli's been doing this for forever. Eli's been doing this forever. Well, it's not just Eli. It's like you, New York, whenever Tom Brady like retires or does anything, they always say, man who lost Super Bowl twice to Giants, blah, blah, blah. And Brady jokes about it, usually at, at Peyton's expense. Like, you know your brother beat me twice, right? So it's, it's harmless fun from two Hall of Famers. It's all adorable. It's all a problem. <laughs> So last night, Beth and I watched the Netflix documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop. And it is about the creation of We Are the World. Now, it's an imperfect film. There's a little too much dramatization that's sprinkled in there. Little harmless things. Okay. That don't change the narrative of the story, but there are some, there's some breadcrumbs in the meatloaf. Mom, and, the meatloaf! <laughs> we want it now! But it's a, the story's amazing. Because? It, it really is amazing. Because it had to be, it was one night, everybody in the same room with 13 microphones and people ganged up on the microphones and Quincy Jones in charge. They barely got it written in time. Wait, I have a question for you before you go on with your review. Inside of this documentary, is it explained why Dan Aykroyd was there? He just happened by, he happened to be there. Okay. Yeah. So no one went out and was like, no, no you one, know who we need on this record. No, nobody recruited. We need Dan Aykroyd. Nobody recruited him. He just happened to be there. Okay. But it's the interviews. First of all, Lionel Richie is 
the, the work that he put in is absolutely incredible because they had to do this around the American Music Awards. They had to do this when everybody was in town for the AMCs, and they did it after the awards ceremony. Everybody went to a secret studio location. Were to they do hammered? This. Well, yes, especially Al Jarreau. The interviews we with Lionel Richie, with Springsteen, Huey Lewis is wonderful. I think Huey what Lewis. What about the news? Dionne Warwick and Cindy Lauper are great, the, and and Bob Dylan is a loon. If you, the, you'll if you always thought that he was a bit touched, you'll come away from this confirmed that there's something wrong with Bob Dylan. The line of the movie, and I, I'm, I don't care. I don't know how many people are going to see it. My favorite line is when everybody arrived, everybody gets there, and you know who's involved here. You know all the names. Paul Simon <laughs> looks around and says, wow, if a bomb hits this place, John Denver's back on top. That's a really good line. <laughs> That's the coldest line. I just, I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard when I heard that. If a bomb hits this place, John Denver's back on top. But the, it's it's amazing how they pull this all off. And I will also tell you, the guy who, when you hear him, when he, all of a sudden he starts to sing, you forget Steve Perry was a monster, vocal, absolute, what a, a, at his peak value. Just his voice, the, and even these are the greatest singers in the world. All looking at him like, damn! And he just kept doing it. So, do you want me to do it like this? I could do it like this. I do it like this. And, and in multiple takes, and they had to they had to be in order. And Quincy Jones is there saying, no, no, we got to do you, 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 you. And they so it had it was like a like a Scorsese tracking shot. Everybody had to get their part right. Did did they show? Because the there's a viral video. Of Huey Lewis doing whatever it is that he was doing, and Michael Jackson looking at him like, oh my God, this guy can't sing. Well, he fixed it. But also the story of how they got the lyrics and how they tried to get Stevie Wonder to write it, and then Stevie they, Stevie didn't respond until after it was already recorded. They had to send cassettes out to everybody so they knew what they were recording after they came in. But the what they don't discuss, what is never mentioned it's never even alluded amid everything else bubbles the chimp is in this michael jackson's pet python is in this so to speak the the what the subtitle of this where i think for it to be an honest documentary somebody has to tell this real story because this is 1985 this is after an awards show and this went all night the subtitle of this should have been Cocaine, Is There Anything It Can't Do? Especially in the 80s. Look, that was that's the story I want. Like, this documentary is great, it's fun, and there's fan servicing, and you'll enjoy it, and there's all sorts of warm memories. I want to know who brought the cocaine, who was in charge of Probably making sure Quincy. there was enough there for everybody for the entire night... And then at one point they stopped, and they were all signing autographs for each other because they did. They thought that was going to be taboo, and they're like, "Fine, we'll do this. You sign this for me. You sign this." And they were, and, and then the best part is Waylon Jennings. He left, right? Bailed. Why did he leave? Because he just had had enough. 
<laughs> he had better things to do. I he, bet. He put the I'm not interested Just sign. Just good old boy. Yeah, yeah. Waylon put the I'm not interested sign on the whole thing and was deuces. Like, yeah. oh, where's Waylon? Uh, not here anymore. He doesn't want to be here anymore <laughs> because there's too many. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. uh, he, uh, he was not comfortable. What are you talking about over there? I don't get it. Um, what's the KRS line? You could talk about Nigeria. People used to laugh at you. Now I take a look. I see USA for Africa. Well, the other thing, too, is how much Bob Geldof mattered and how the producers needed Bob Geldof to come in with a with a pep talk to keep people on mission and say, look, we're, this is why we're here, because he had done Live Aid. How much money did they end up raising? I don't even know, and I don't even know if it really got there. It wasn't there. in the documentary? I, you glossed over I, it because you really liked that one line? No, I don't know what it, whether or not what they who knows what they said they made, but there's no way to tell who, how much got to whom to actually alleviate starvation. Yes, it's a problem. But I I do recommend it, but I just advise as you watch it, understand the untold story of the power of cocaine. That's the power of cocaine. <laughs> Can you feel it? Yes. <laughs> oh, very much so. Thank you for asking. When we come back, we will talk with our quarterback Sherpa. Sean King. The quarterback, not Talcum X. He's going to join us to talk about Bears stuff in the Super Bowl. It's next here on The Score.